I have a real sense that God has got some good things for us this morning. I sense, sense that as we've been worshipping. I don't know about you. Is that good? Are you ready for some good things? That's good. Okay. So we're going to continue this morning our series looking at the Gospel of Mark, what Mark wrote about Jesus. And the title this morning is Jesus Subdues the Strong Man, not Jonathan Lloyd Subdues the Strong Man, as it said earlier on. As if, I mean, really. Okay. We live in a world where sequels are a big thing, aren't they? You know, as soon as a TV series or a book or a film comes out, they've already started making the next in the series. And in some cases, when they run out of ideas for sequels, they start making prequels, the thing that happened before, the thing we saw before they did the sequels. Uh, Listen carefully, I will say this only once. I hope you're following. A few weeks ago, John preached on Mark chapter 1. And he preached on a dramatic incident in Jesus' life. And I can recommend it to you. Jesus is confronted by a man in a synagogue who has an impure or an unclean spirit or a demon, all the same thing. He's in a religious place of all places. He's in Israel. And yet he still is confronted by this demonized man. And the short version of the story is that Jesus sets the man free. And now we're only four chapters further into Mark's story and we have a sequel. It's not Jesus in synagogue trouble. This time it's Jesus confronts the demons tomb raiders. And like most sequels, the story is basically the same. But the setting is different. There is a lot that's the same, the storyline, but the significant differences. And the reason that we have a sequel is not that we're trying to establish a franchise or we're trying to make money. Mark has put this into the gospel because these incidents happened and because they tell us something important. They're an important part of demonstrating who Jesus is and what he came to do on this earth. You know, the reason God repeats himself is not because he's absent-minded. It's usually because, as Jesus so politely put it, we are slow of heart to believe. Or as we might say, we're a bit spiritually dense or thick. And like the disciples, I and maybe you often need repeat lessons before I get it. Well, I believe God wants us to be very clear, to be sure, and to be in no doubt about these issues that we're discussing today. And I believe there's something very important for us here as Hope Church, as a family. You see, I believe God wants us to have a clear, a right, and by that I mean a Bible understanding of who Satan is and what his work is and his agents in this world. I believe God wants us to have a right Bible understanding of the total authority of Jesus over Satan and his agents in this world. I believe God wants us to have a right Bible understanding of our authority in Jesus' name and of God's desire for us to walk in increasing freedom. 
That's good news. So, if we want a Bible understanding, let's turn to the Bible. We're going to read some verses from Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, brace yourselves, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. I don't mean to frighten you, but this is a real event. Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out. Sorry, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I've got three titles for you today. You can choose which of the ones you prefer, old school or slightly newer school. (laughs) Confrontation or game on. Capitulation, or total wipeout, and restoration, or factory reset. But before we uh, get on to that, I just want to say a few words about how we approach this passage. You know, this is not, for most of us, an account of everyday events. Well, at least let me know if it is for you. It certainly isn't for me. This is strange territory for 21st century Western-trained minds and people like us. And we may easily find some degree of skepticism rising in, in response to it. It may sound to us a bit like superstition or something we can file under, well, things that people believed back then, but now we know better. I would suggest to you, though, that our modern Western culture is often shown to fall short of deeply spiritual perceptions. Perceptions of other cultures, like African and Asian cultures. Let me give you an example. Modern medical scientists, with all our wonderful technology that we're so grateful for, they can do amazing things, but now they're having to try and re-educate us that our health and wellness is about more than disease, that actually it's about our whole being, a holistic approach. And other cultures may not have our technology, but they get it that we are holistic as human beings. So I'd encourage you 
that we need a degree of humility and openness as we approach this passage, even if it's beyond our experience. We may not fully understand every aspect of what I've just read, and I won't pretend that I do, but it's difficult to explain in a way. The simplest explanation, I would say, is that this is a straightforward account of what actually happened. So, if you can do that, let's move on. Confrontation or game on. I hope this will help us to make sure we have a Bible understanding of the existence and working of Satan and his agents. Wherever Jesus goes, there's confrontation because he brings with him the kingdom of God. And wherever the kingdom of God moves, it encounters the dominion of darkness. And this happens many times in the New Testament. And in our story today, our sequel to the story that John spoke about, we can see this again. In Mark 1, the event was in a synagogue, a religious place. It was in Israel, the, the promised land. But now Jesus is in enemy territory. He's deliberately gone there. He'd done lots of things in Israel, but would his authority work here? It's a question the disciples may have asked. Jesus is in pagan, ungodly, Gentile, pig-keeping country. He meets a man who has an unclean spirit, who lived among the unclean tombs, if you were Jewish, surrounded by unclean people, employed in unclean occupations, and all in unclean Gentile territory. Pretty uncomfortable for the disciples. And Jesus is confronting a problem that no one can solve. A poor man, a wretched man that no one appears to be able to help. He's tormented. He's desperate. He's completely uncontrollable. He's violent. He's a terror to himself and others. Completely in the grip of these demonic forces. All efforts to control him failed. And even in life, he lives among the dead. Pretty awful existence. What was his response to Jesus setting foot on this enemy territory? He went to meet him. The man normally ran at people, I imagine, with rage. I imagine most people, I certainly would have, turned and ran the other way when he ran towards them. But Jesus doesn't flinch. The man runs towards him and he kneels before Jesus. He clearly wants to be free and he knows where to go. Can I say to you this morning, whether you see yourself this morning as a Christian or not, I believe with all my heart, the key to true freedom is to run to Jesus and to kneel before him. I truly believe that. You won't find freedom anywhere else in this world like you will find by running to Jesus and kneeling before him. The demons, as they often do, recognize Jesus. They did in the passage John spoke on. The disciples may still be saying, who is this? But the demons know. But believing in Jesus does not always result in bending the knee. The Bible tells us the demons believe and shudder, but they're not worshipers. They don't come to Jesus as Lord. It's bowing the knee that counts. Once we believe in Jesus, we come and bow the knee. My brothers and sisters, please, we must not be fooled by the lie that Satan either doesn't exist 
or that he's some sort of figure of fun. It's out there. He is not a joke. He is not a naughty but nice sort of person. I think it was C.S. Lewis, a 20th century Christian thinker, who said the devil's strategy in our century has been to make himself appear ridiculous so that people think he doesn't exist or he's a joke. But let me tell you, he is alive and he is working in Winchester. He is a cruel tyrant. Look at this man. This man in the grip of Satan, self-harming, crying out, living among the dead. That's no joke. These are the hallmarks of our enemy, to kill, to steal, and destroy, as Jesus says in John 10.10. Be clear, you may be finding it hard to believe, but Jesus clearly did believe in what he saw and in what he did. We see that coming out. I've seen evidence. You probably have too. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all in the New Testament. If there is a spiritual realm, if there is God and the angels, there is Satan and the demons. It's only logical. What does the Scripture say to us on this? In Ephesians, we get this verse. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not against people. We're for people. God is for people. Our struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that verse is sandwiched between a list of the armor of God and it's tailed with prayer. It tells us something, doesn't it, about how we deal with these things. The armor of God and prayer. If you're still struggling, just remember how Jesus taught us to pray. Starts, doesn't it, with our wonderful focus. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when you get to the middle, there's this bit, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He is a real malignant force. We need a right understanding of who he is. The good news, though, is coming soon. We need a right understanding of the total authority of Jesus over Satan and all of his agents. Total authority. The next scene in our sequel is capitulation, is a complete and utter surrender. Now, unlike previous, uh, the previous example, in our sequel, the demon doesn't just go when Jesus tells it to go. It actually tries to argue, tries to bargain. So Jesus asks the demon its name. The demon's name is Legion because we are many. You know, there are about 6,000 people in a legion, something of that order. So there probably were quite a lot. Whether it's 6,000 or not, who knows? Because, of course, demons tell lies. That's why they're not worth talking to. But Jesus is encountering a stepped-up problem here. This is a legion of demons. This isn't one. Will his power work here in this new power battle? Well, it's an absolute... Yes? (laughs) I think we should say that. Can you say I'm going to say... I'm waiting for you to say yes. It's an absolute yes. Jesus' power will work in this situation. Note the language. The demons begged and Jesus commanded. 
The demons shouted. Jesus spoke. Jesus, the demons requested. Jesus gives permission. Who is in charge here? It's clear. It's Jesus. Jesus is in total control. As John said, he speaks to the demons like you were talking to your dog. Sit, be quiet, do this. Yes, you can have a bone. Jesus is in total control. What's what's the thing about the pigs? Well, there are many theories. We haven't got time this morning. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Jesus' power was effective not just in the synagogue, not just in Israel, but it was effective in enemy territory with the biggest problem that they had ever seen. Not one demon, but a legion. I want to put this up, and I want you to get this, because I don't really like talking about the devil. This is the picture you need to get. Have you got it? Big God. No, I know. That's a very good point. Thank you, Richard. This is not to scale. God is much bigger than that. But I'm somewhat limited by our technology. So get, get the idea. The devil is bounded by God. We see that in the scriptures. Satan asked permission to sift Peter. Jesus tells us that. And, Peter, and Jesus prays for Peter. The book of Job gives us insight. Job asked, uh, Job, sorry, Satan asked permission to afflict Job. Satan is bounded. He is not free to do as he wants. He cannot touch us without God's permission or unless we willfully open a door allowing him access, which we can do through sin and unforgiveness. But we know the answer to sin and unforgiveness, don't we? It's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. It's coming to him. We are not at the mercy of our enemy, but we are warned. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, stay alert, wake up, be on your guard, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. My advice to you is this, don't volunteer. He has no power over you. Jesus said, uh, sorry, Jesus is spoken of in 1 John 4 verse 4. It says this, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's not just Jesus is greater up there somewhere. He is greater in you. He is in you by his spirit. The one in you, the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one in you is Jesus by his spirit. Jesus is the one who said of himself that the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him, didn't he? Talked about binding up brokenhearted, freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus is the one who disarmed the principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Jesus is the one who said that once the strong man is bound, you can plunder their house. He's speaking of the devil. Once he's bound him up, he can rob souls and rescue them. Jesus is the one of whom it is said this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil, the devil's work. And let me just remind you again, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is invincible. Jesus is invincible. He can rescue sinners. 
He can set captives free. He can break strongholds. So thirdly, restoration or factory reset. We need a Bible understanding of our authority in Jesus' name. We need a Bible understanding of God's heart for us to walk in greater freedom continually. You see, this account isn't really about demons, and it isn't really about pigs, and it isn't really about all that sort of stuff. This account is actually about the release and restoration of a, of a man, of a soul, of a person that God loved and gave himself for. That's the, that's the real thing of the story. Don't, don't get taken up by all the surrounding stuff. It's about a man. It's about Jesus rescuing a man, like he has rescued me and you, many of us here this morning. The crowd did have more of an eye for the pigs. It was quite dramatic, to be fair. I looked up online yesterday. I reckon there's about a quarter of a million's worth of pig went over the hill at today's prices. Jesus didn't bat an eyelid. Oh, he's, this, this man, he's, he's worth way more than that. Never mind the pigs. Get rid of them. The man is Jesus' focus. Him, the man restoring this man, doing a complete reset on this man, is what Jesus is concerned about. Swat the demons out of the way. Get the pigs out of the way. It's the man he's going after. That's the love of God reaching out. That's the love of God reaching out to rescue and to free. Jesus, a little later on, I didn't read it. You can read it at home. He says to the man, go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has had on you. Isn't that wonderful? Don't necessarily go and tell them the great story. Whoa, this happened, and then this happened, then the pigs, you should have seen the pigs. No, go and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And I think that is God's focus. In fact, it reminds me of an occasion where Jesus had sent out the 72, and they'd gone out, they'd seen people healed, they'd seen demons flee, and they'd come back, and they said, wow, that was great. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons flee. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Isn't that wonderful? Let's keep our focus on what's really important. We have power we can overcome. Jesus gave it to his disciples, the 12, the 72, and he gives it to us today. At his name, demons must flee. At his name, demonic strongholds must crumble. We have, Corinthians tells us, divine power to demolish strongholds. It's wonderful news. And we are called, I believe, to live in increasing freedom. And now we have power in his name. We have authority. Do you know Satan is afraid of you and me and afraid of his church? Jesus' church. He's afraid. When we stand up, when we know who we are in Jesus, I think Satan trembles. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. They won't. 
We have authority. Isn't that what Angela Kem, when she was here, was saying to us? Time for the church to stand up. Time for us to stand up, church. We have authority. Time to make the gates of hell tremble as we step out in the authority that we have. That's why it's important we know this. Paul says in one of his letters about the devil, we are not unaware of his schemes. It's a great line, actually. I think the trouble is sometimes we are. Sometimes, we actually, we have no idea what's going on. We can be unaware, and ignorance, let me tell you, is not bliss. It leaves us vulnerable. We need to be sensible. History in the church of going to one extreme or the other. Either the devil doesn't exist or he's responsible for everything. We need a biblical viewpoint. We need to be spiritual and spirit-led, schooled by the word and led by the spirit. That's what we want to be. Freedom in Christ is, is a great course. I'd recommend it. We're doing one in September. But you don't need to wait till then to find some freedom. You don't, it's not restricted to a course. Oh, that's where we do that. No, no, no. Freedom is, is for us to grow in day by day. Daily life. We have no need to be afraid. Do you get that? Don't be afraid. We have nothing to fear. Smith Wigglesworth was a very famous guy in England back in the day. He was amazingly used by God in the miraculous. Here's a wonderful story, I think, that illustrates the fact that we needn't fear. This is, these are his words. He's with his wife. We were sleeping one night when the manifestation of evil filled the room and the spirit of fear gripped us both. Polly, that's his wife, was so frightened she couldn't open her eyes. I suddenly sat up in bed and saw the devil. I rubbed my eyes to be sure it was him. I said, oh, it's only you. I turned to Polly, told her to go back to sleep. It was nothing of consequence. And I laid my head back down. Suddenly, an overwhelming sense of peace and love filled the room. And we had the most blessed sleep. Isn't that great? I love it. I just love it. <laughs> we have no need to be, fear, uh, to be fearful. Thankfully, most of us are not like this poor man in the account we read today. But that doesn't mean we're free. I know in my own life over the years, there's been things that God has done that have led me into greater freedom. Maybe some of you do too. I'm sure you do. I remember a time, it was quite a while ago now, where uh, God highlighted some things, some generational things in my life, things that had come down through my family that I got some prayer for. It was really powerful. Didn't seem like anything. Next minute I knew I was on the floor. I don't know what that was about, but it was about increasing freedom. You can pick up stuff day to day, you know that, don't you? I was, uh, I was with somebody recently, they're not, they're not here this morning, I can promise you that, um, and afterwards I, I was just about to go home and I felt, I just felt really, really down, I felt really, really oppressed, and I start to think, well, I don't know what's the matter with me, and then I think, ah, actually I just need to pray and, and just lift something off me in Jesus' name. I'm not picking up stuff that's flying around, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, it went. So take note of mood changes. It may be more than you think. 
Circumstances can have demonic origin. The storm on the lake that John described last week, we can't say, but many people see parallels there that that may mean it was a demonic storm. You must all know circumstances in your life that actually are demonically inspired. We need to be aware. We need to take account. We need to pray in Jesus' name. Ever noticed how funny it is that you have an argument with your wife just before an important church meeting or before some incident, something that you're going to do something for God? And suddenly out of nowhere, this storm arrives. Be aware. Let's be aware. Our enemy is around like a roaring lion. Fear. Have you ever noticed, have you ever come into a meeting? I don't mean a church meeting, it could be at work. Have you ever come into a meeting and felt there was an atmosphere? Fear or something else, suspicion or whatever? You can take control in Jesus' name. When you walk in, the kingdom of God walks in. When you walk in, the enemy must flee. We need to be aware. I've had battles with fear. I don't suppose there's anybody here that hasn't. And we all have fears. Some of them are natural. Some of them are not. Look out for fears that have an unnatural quality. Fear that suddenly comes on you. Or fear that actually prevents you from doing things. Maybe it's something bigger than an ordinary fear. I remember when I was in hospital recently. I woke up very early in the morning, two, three, four o'clock, and I woke up, and it wasn't quite like Smith Smith Wigglesworth, to be fair, but I woke up, and I was filled with fear. No reason, nothing. And I thought, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to start to pray. And I started to pray, and I started to worship, and it lifted. Maybe it's not a surprise. Hospital full of many fearful people experiencing fearful things. No surprise that spirits of fear lurk there. Perhaps we should be more wise. Perhaps I should have been. Look for unnatural fears. Look for mental fogs. You ever experienced a mental fog when God is about to do something and you just can't think straight? Somehow your mind zones out or shuts down. Recurring thoughts in your head. You know, these are normal things. And God wants us to walk in increasing freedom. The key to all of things is not to cooperate. Don't give in. Remember who you are. I'm just winding to a close here. Can I have the worship band to come up, uh, please, and get yourselves sorted, just as I'm closing down here. Do you remember Jesus when he was going to the cross and his good friend Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, that's never going to happen. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. That's a bit sharp. <laughs> I thought I was your mate. I don't think he was the devil, was he? It was, it was a demonically inspired comment. It was dragging Jesus away from God's purpose. Resist the devil. James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. That's running to Jesus and kneeling down before him. Resist the devil and guess what? He will run away. He will run away because he's scared of you. We have no need to be frightened. Because of the victorious Jesus living in us, we can be free and live in increasing freedom, and we can bring freedom to others. Now, I believe God wants to break some strongholds today. I believe God is here to break chains that have held us. And it doesn't need to be dramatic. It doesn't need to be any great big deal. 
but actually it can make a real difference to the way we live our lives. I believe God wants to do that today. I know John, when he spoke on the first passage, the first one, we had some ministry time after. That's great. I want to say to you this morning, we're, we're going to have some ministry time later too, but don't, I think God has more to do. That's what I'm saying. I think God has more to do. He's got more freedom, more blessings. He's got more good things for his children.